This is Adrian Paul from Highlander, and you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. covering the max of the dead tv podcast just in time for thanksgiving so happy thanksgiving if you're listening to us then because i believe we should be posting this yes i believe my timeline is correct this will be posted in time for thanksgiving black friday go out and buy comic books for people that you love i'm your host (laughs) dr chris and i'm mr zedica but support your local comic book stores and pick up uh the max in trade paperback pick up the max dvd if you can find it um, as well as anything else, my local comic book store is That's Entertainment or Bedrock Comics or The Holla Comics or anyone else carrying Vlada or Dracula Tales. <laughs> uh, what's your local comic book store, Mr. Zeneca? Uh, there's Atomic Comics that's right off of South Street that's very popular. Yes, I tried to get Vlada in there and uh, I, I did not call it the best times. I don't know. Yeah, the other uh, really good comic store is J. JD's Hero Complex. Oh, okay. JD's is the one I called. I did not call it comic, Atomic Comics. Maybe I'll okay. give them a call. Uh, there's also White Dragon in your area. Do you know what that? I've never been to that one. Okay. I wonder if that's a reference to Power Rangers. Not oh, that sure. was the My... Green Dragon. That was the Green Dragon. Never mind. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, the well, comic the... store that w- the the comic store that was actually really close to me closed down because of COVID. So. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, we are covering episodes 12 and 13, the end of the Max. And at the end of the episode, Mr. Zeneca has a lot of stuff to go over. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But why don't we go to the plot synopsis for episodes 12 and 13, the ending of the Max. Sure. Uh, Episodes 12 and 13. Originally aired June 19th, 1995. Mr. Gone reveals more of Julie's backstory. Julie must make a difficult decision that the Max doesn't want to accept. And that was and 12 and 13? 12 and 13, yes. Okay. So Mr. Gunn, uh, as we learned, is Sarah's dad and the decapitated head in the box, which we saw Julie decapitate him earlier, but I was sh- still shocked to find out that it was his decapitated head in the box. Which makes me realize I never watched the ending to the Max cartoon until just now. <laughs> You, you didn't watch it back in the day? I, no, I didn't say that. I said I didn't watch the ending to the Max. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't... I mean, also, it's been 25 years since I've watched this cartoon, so I, it's not like I'm re-watching Superman the Animated Series, which I've seen so many times, and I'm watching now on uh, again because I have the HD Blu-rays, that it's, you know, I, I remember every episode. But no, the Max, I think it was a one-time showing for me on television... Yeah, no, I'm not, you know, my knowledge of it is not super duper. You know, when we're actually doing these episodes, um, we did one, two, three, and then I watched one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, I should stop. And then we did, uh, uh, I think we, we, we filmed three, four, five, and I was 
watching the entire series. And then I, every time we've actually what uh sat down to watch the series i've watched it completely through so well i mean <laughs> i do love it it. <laughs> it it would take you only two hours to watch all 13 episodes i know i know it's it's an afternoon yeah it's I not very it. hard it's a quick show to watch so in episode 12 we actually find out that uh mr gone's name is artemis artemis p gone but in the trade paperbacks, we find out a little bit more. His, that P stands for Pender. So, Artie Pender gone. Yes, very weird. Yeah, and, and this is also the episode where we, we see the, the story of Julie and that bunny and why the Max is actually in bunny shape. The ability ability to suppress and bury things. Mr. Gaughan actually kind of mentions that that's what she learned through this experience because her family, you know, the bunny was killed and then they never talked about it again. So I, I think a lot of people do that when they are confronted by something that they don't really want to face. I know me as a mother, I've had to take care of a lot of things that, um, you know, when you're a mom, you get covered in bodily fluids and you have to pick up things and tend to animals and like all, all of this stuff that what her mother did was not anything out of the ordinary. With well, a bunny suffering like that, yeah, put it out of its misery. Why does Julie have no mouth? Uh, you'd have to ask Sam Keith that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just didn't understand why she has no mouth when she's a child the entire time. I don't know. The entire bunny story is dark as hell. I mean, it's just it's just dark and sad and, like, scary, too. I mean, the bunny under the bed, you know, the telltale heart. Yeah, the, the scratching, the scratching. Uh, and, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that's not even the saddest story of the entire series of the max like it gets worse right like, uh, what if, what issue the comic book is this on right now because i mean the comic book went on for like 36 issues the show only had 13 episodes yeah this one is basically halfway through the trade paper act volume two okay. and because i don't have the individual comics i don't know exactly which issue it is and volume two doesn't have clear markers as volume one did for when the comics end but uh it's straight right halfway about uh in the trade paperback volume two right and if you listen to the commentary uh sam's on every single episode of the commentary for the cartoons he goes he does mention like what episode this is taking place in that you know versus you know what what how they correspond together is what i'm trying to say Nice. I, I don't have that version. I just have a friend that loaned it to me or a friend that has the files and loaned me access. Gotcha. Uh, Mom killing the bunny is, you know, like, holy crap. Just whew, that, you know, takes it upon herself to do so. Yeah. But what are you going to do? You know, this this bunny had a flat leg and it was on its way to death, but it just wouldn't give up the ghost. What, what's a mother going to do? She can't have this rabbit in the garage. You know, it, it, it needed to be done, just like Julie says. You know, mother takes care of things that need to be taken care of. 
even if they're not the most, I don't know, it, it's uh, the saddest way to take care of something. There, I mean, we have a snake here at the house and snakes got to eat. But sometimes when the rat is super aggressive, you kind of have to kill it first before giving it to the snake. You know, as long as it's warm, the snake will eat it. But yeah, sometimes you just have to do things that involve death that you really don't want to do. Um, and that's it. That's how the episode, that's how episode 12 ends with the death of the bunny. Yeah. Moving on to episode 13. Um, the CGI in this show is hit or miss. The plane taking off doesn't need to be CGI. I don't understand why this is CGI compared to the rest of the, you know, episode, you know, let alone the rest of the show. Uh, I don't know why this dialistic choice was that. Uh, yeah. In, in the trade paperbacks, there is a difference in uh, some of the artistic styles that as we get a little bit uh, further into the trade paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is, is, you know, I'm not sure why they used it this, this way for the show. Very just unusual. Um... And, and Julie breaks the news to Max that she's leaving. She's leaving town. And, you know, she admits to him that he's trapped in a world I created, which is absolutely true. But Max, of course, doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> um, Mr. Gon tries to influence Max um, by appearing his head on top of a glass. So in reality, just like the clay, in reality, it's a glass and it's a mental projection of Mr. Gon's head on that glass. And Max just steps on it because he doesn't want to hear it. It just, the show just kind of just ends very abruptly, but the adventures of Max go on in the comics. Yes. um, Julie moving away is an ending, but it's not a finale. You know, it doesn't feel like a finale, but her moving, I mean, that's definitely indicative of an ending. It, It just leaves you wanting more. And that's where we stop. And, we stop and Julie's adventures continue. And if they would have done maybe a second season or whatnot, we would have seen this very sharp turn in the comics where the storyline goes from following Julie and, and basically that interaction to following Sarah. So I'm not sure if I would be satisfied with more of how the comic books actually drafted it i'm not sure where they ended it was okay now that i've read the comics but i don't know i i still wanted more of julie and max and sarah and uh, you know i i didn't want it to end this way but it, it ends it's just like everything has to end yeah it's just it, it just it was so abrupt. It took me out of the took me out of the episode. It's definitely not the worst ending to a show I've ever seen before, or anything we've ever covered on this podcast. But it just it's so abrupt. I'm like, uh, okay, what? Yeah, Max is afraid of who he is when Julie isn't there, and 
truth be told, he is a different person when Julie isn't there because the animal portion of him leaves because that kind of goes along with Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, in the, in the comic, in, or sorry, in the show, you see the removal of the costume and then Dave, the, the hobo, walks into a greenhouse, presumably to do some work. And you see mimics of some of the creatures from the outback as uh, plants inside the greenhouse. That image right there isn't exactly from the comics. That's for the show only because Dave was really a plumber. He wasn't uh, a tender of a greenhouse. Gotcha. Well, that is all the notes I have left on the Max in our coverage of another great image comic series. I think it was the uh, no, third one we've done, if you count Witchblade. True. Because um, we did Spawn. Witchblade is a top cow, but, you know, top cow image or, you know, one company. And now uh, the Max. Uh, we will have to do Wildcats one day, uh, just because it is also one of the founders of Image Comics. It, it only got one season as well. Um, and it's a fun cartoon. Yeah, maybe. It's also got a kick, kick-ass theme song, too. <laughs> maybe. Um, so I have prepared a little uh recorded focus area if you will for what happened after the mac show you know what is in the trade paperbacks you know from the issues um when we leave off that's in trade paperback number two and i kind of do the synopsis for uh to go through this plot line up until the plot line ends at volume five excellent and the last time we saw the Max in comics in general was uh, a comic book that took years to get finished. I heard that it took like, I didn't read it yet, but it took like three years to get finished, which is ridiculous for a comic book that's supposed to be six issues long. Um, IDW DC Comics uh, Max uh, versus Batman. Oh, is that the Arkham something or other? Mm, I believe so. Um, Sam Keith has Arkham, Arkham Dreams, I think it is. Might be. Um, I just remember seeing ads in current issues of IDW comic books that I was reading the last this past year that had the Max going, hey, we're finishing it. Yay! You know, Batman being like, just get on with it already. Um, <laughs> but they did like three issues, and then it was a giant hiatus. And then they did it, but they did, they finally did four, five, and six. And I think it's finally all collected to read, you know, but it just, it took so long. Um, and we, I tried desperately to get Sam Keith on the show, but I just, I did not get a very, I got no, I just got no response. He was not at any comic convention around near me. So stay tuned for Mr. Zeneca's finale going over stuff about the Max. And don't forget, you can find us on our social media, the Dead TV podcast on the Facebook page and any uh, MTV Max groups that we might be in right now talking about the Max. And our Twitters, Christy SAV and Elegantly Kiki. Send us an email, batradiohorror at gmail.com or rate us on iTunes. iTunes, 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 algorithms, all that good stuff. We definitely always need help there, Stitcher and Google Play. And we'll be taking a couple weeks off and returning in the middle of December, roughly, for Reaper. With the first episode directed by Kevin Smith. Good night. Since this was the last podcast for The Max, I have something really special for you. I interview Amy Danlis, who plays Sarah from The Max. But first...
Let's talk about what happened after the show ended. The Max can quickly be summarized as this. It's the metaphysical and spiritual roots of everyday life as manifested through the metaphor of superheroic struggle, per Sam Keith. After the show ends, we pick up back with Harry, one of those kids in previous scenes, talking to Mr. Gone about power. Julie then goes on a sex and crime-filled escapade. Mr. Gone says that he's a creation for Max to have a nemesis. Max finds tapes Mr. Gone made, and he gives them to Sarah. Sarah's grandfather has dementia and keeps seeing himself in a rocket ship. In reality, he's leaving his nursing home on a bus. Then we see Sarah's outback, which is a patchwork quilt, like a blanket fort. And we meet Sarah's Max, which is a massive horse. Julie comes back, hella preggers, with red hair, and admits to a line of guys that she's used and cars she's stolen from them. Sarah gets picked up by the cops for tagging and confronts a black is in jail who wanted to eat her. She meets up with Max to go where it began for him. We find out that Julie was attacked by a guy who pretended that his car broke down and was hitchhiking. He attacked her and left her for dead. Then when she saw a hobo crossing the street, she thought it was her attacker. She sped up and hit the person. That person was named Dave. She covered him up with trash, including garbage bags and a purple and yellow lampshade. In that moment, her animal spirit needed to appear, and it formed within the hobo Dave, who had been a lost soul for a while. Dave became the Max. Uncle Artie, Mr. Gone, learned in Australia and told of the tales of the Outback. He learned the belief that everyone lives in two places at once. He showed a glimpse of the Outback to her mother, who preferred to know only the life she already knew. Volume 4 of the Trade Paperbacks has a 10-year time jump where Sarah goes to find her actual dad. She does. Finds that he's still a sorcerer, but that the Mr. Gone that she knew was only a psychic projection of himself, which is why he couldn't be killed. Then there's a storyline about a banana slug that is wiping out people on a list, which is a manifestation of Sarah's feelings and shame. Sarah, being of mid-twenties age by this time, the story revolves around her own outback and her own feelings about being abandoned. We find out that Julie quickly abandoned the boy she birthed, and Sarah feels abandoned by her too. So the boy, Mark, and Sarah find Julie with a mission to repair the relationships. We see Julie, who is almost transformed into a bum, having kind of a rough time of it. She actually cut off two of her fingers to avoid the banana slug's anger. Oh, and Sarah has a magic hand because she got the magic from her dad, somehow. We get the backstory of Mr. Gone. Mr. Gone is an orphan that lived with his Aunt Ruth. She would sexually abuse him from a very young age. She would have sex with him and then threaten to tell everyone that he raped her. Then he was abused by a male babysitter who forced him to do oral on him. He developed a fetish for wearing a pink parka and a paper bag over his head. Trying to make love any other way would have him throwing up and nauseous. His first wife, Celia, was a heroin junkie and a prostitute. They had a child named Fred. Celia beat the infant, then sold his eyes to a doctor for morphine. The kid shortly died thereafter, with the wife ODing after that. His second wife, Judy, was a drunk, but tolerated his growing anger and humiliation tactics, like making her wear the parker and the bag over her head in punishment for her drinking. Then, when she left him, Artemis went to Australia. He stayed with aboriginals who had been experimented on like his dead son, missing eyes and all. 
He learned the magical art of walking in the dream time. They taught him about power spots. One just so happened to be at a storage facility. So he found a circular group of 24 bins. He placed objects from the people, personal concerns, we call them in the occult world, and he began to enter their outbacks. As you can guess, Julie's childhood stuff was in one, which allowed him access to her mind. Mr. Gon's third wife was Tilly, Sarah's mother. He would take Sarah on his back for pony rides, which is why her Max, her animal spirit, her animus, is a horse. Once Tilly found out about his abused past and a threat of violence underneath it, she took Sarah and ran before the anger made him repeat the abuse. He tried to kill himself many times, but he couldn't die because he wasn't all there anymore. Part of him was always in someone's outback. Mr. Gon sought after Glory, who he attacked in the show, to take whatever punishment he deserved from her. She berated him for weeks, but finally forgave him. And when she forgave, he could see how to forgive his Aunt Ruth and could finally enjoy regular sex without having the nausea. At the end of Volume 4, Mr. Gon, Max Classic, Horse Max, Sarah, Glory, and Julie's son Mark need to save Julie through Sarah's mindscape. And Sarah disappears in an explosion of psychic energy. Then we see her transformed into a huge is. A set of paranormal men in black people shoot Mr. Gon, and both he and Sarah the Is continue to live exclusively in the outback. And the reality of the city, or the reality that it was called reality, collapses in on itself and creates a new timeline of existence. And the whole of what happened is transformed into a snow globe by the end of Volume 5. And in a nutshell, that is the conclusion of The Max. The Max will be back on MTV's Oddities. As a special treat for our listeners, we have Amy Danlis on the line from The Max, who starred as Sarah. Welcome to the Dead TV Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I have been looking forward to this interview for so long. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. I'm not sure if you've been listening to the show or not. We've been covering the Max. Uh, the Max is actually really special and important cartoon slash comic for me personally due to the age I was when I watched it. So listening to anything that you have to give us on the Max will be just a treat for me. <laughs> oh, I love to hear that. That's really fantastic. So did you read, what did you find first, the comics or the show? I actually found the show first and I didn't actually read the full comics until much, much later. And then I realized, you know, like what was behind all of the things that were on the show. Um, but the show for me um, was basically just, I, I don't know, it, it, it's got such an emotional appeal that at the time of being a teenager, it was just really, you know, it touched me in, in very intimate ways, I have to say. I love that. That's really fantastic. You know, I would I would have to say it was the same for me. You know, I had just moved to Los Angeles from Michigan. I spent a little bit of time in New York and then I went straight to LA to pursue my career. And it was one of the first big jobs that I booked. I immediately connected with Sarah. Uh, just, I don't know. I mean, I think the same thing. I was like a teenager. I was trying to find my way. You know, I was on my own. And it was something that right when I went into the audition, it was it was just like immediate, like I had to do this. 
Oh, um, wow. So I feel the same. I, I had the same experience. And I'm nothing, didn't know who Sam Keith was. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a comic book kid. I didn't know anything about it. Once I, you know, once I, I got the role and we started creating this show, I just, I felt so connected to her just right from the jump. So was this just an audition that you went for or did like a yeah. PR person? Oh, okay, great. No, no, it, it's interesting. I had, I was on a TV show called Sweet Valley High, which I had just booked like maybe two weeks before I went out for the audition for the Max. So both of these things happened to me pretty much simultaneously. And the casting person who was casting the Max for MTV actually knew the woman that cast uh, Sweet Valley High. So that's how I got the audition. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, yeah. So it was the very beginning of my career. What was it like working as voice actor for Sarah? Did you meet any of the other cast? We worked together. A lot of my stuff was solo, but we the scenes that we had together, we did record together. And Sam was there, if I'm remembering correctly, almost he was there all the time. So that alone was such an amazing experience to be with someone that's so brilliant and have him take such an active role in how we developed the show and how the characters sounded and developed. And, and it was my first animated project. It was my first job voicing a character like that. So uh, it was a learning process, but it was also just amazing being around such talented people. So what about Sarah's character really caught you? Her struggle, you know, her struggle to figure out who she is and where she fits in really just her journey to try to figure out who she who she was in the world and, and where she fit in. So that's kind of what really connected me to her. Did you do anything particular for your voice acting role in that? Yes, yes. My voice, which is still gravelly, was so gravelly on its own back then. I hadn't had my tonsils out yet. I got my tonsils out in my 20s. So I was always losing my voice. I was always, I was just very, very raspy. So it played into how my voice was naturally, but I did very much drop it into this gravelly sort of swallowed sound, which was fun finding that. Wow. So, yeah. Excellent. Did Sam Keith give you any sort of insight into the character? He did. He, he was very supportive and everyone just working things out within their own creativity, but he definitely gave insight and was, he's just such a great guy. He really is. He's very, very calm and very supportive and kind of let us just take these roles and run with them. Oh, great. Which was fun. Yes. Yeah. Now, did you read the, the Max comics at all during or after the show? During I did. Yes. I, like I said, when I first uh, went to the audition, I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. I, I wasn't familiar with the, the comics or even the fact that Sam Keith was who he was in, mm -hmm. in that world. But since, yes, I actually have a whole set of the ones that we used for the show that Sam signed for me, and I read them all re religiously. Um, <laughs> and other things that he had written as well, because we actually developed a great friendship, and we, we had other projects that we were working on after. Unfortunately, none of them ended up going, but we, we developed a really great friendship. I was really excited just to know him because like I said, I just think he's absolutely brilliant. I, I agree. I, I just adore his work. The Max dives into a lot of trauma-based topics. You know, there's Max just shifting realities, 
Julie is out back and then in the comics yep. we get into Sarah's out back and the comics generally will go it has a, a turn you stop following Julie and you start following Sarah and so Sarah seems yes. to be actually the main character of the entire series even though Max is the, the titular character and it's yes. so interesting to see how Sarah develops as an adult the character itself is so complicated and so deep but in the in the show it's just like that teenage angsty flavor that right. that is just i don't know it's got that je ne sais quoi for me you know yeah it does i think a lot of people can relate to that teen angsty sarah um i think we all have felt that i do wish at some point i would have loved to see a movie or a a much wider jump into Sarah and all that she becomes you know i think that i think that that would be very interesting i know that there had been some talk at some point to do a live action the max movie yeah um, that that was a uh, channing tatum uh, yes, i believe in like yes. 2018 or 2019 the idea was going around but nothing ever happened with it which is such a bummer i would i think it, that would be fantastic oh i i agree i agree And now was the Max critical to your success in the entertainment industry or was it really just more Sweet Valley High? You know what? It was it played a huge role in where I went as far as animated projects. I went on to do um Princess Tanko after that which was a show that came out of Japan that was on Fox for one season and I did guest roles on, you know, other animated shows. So I think that was my first sort of like wow this is a really interesting path and i will say though nothing ever compared to working on the max as far as a voice job for me it was such a great experience so it did play a role in that in realizing like hey cuz i had done i had grown up doing a lot of voiceover work just like radio spots and hmm. and things like this that and this was my first animated show so i was like wow this is this is something i can do this is something that's really creative and such a wonderful career path that i had never thought that i would do yeah and you mentioned that this was a different voice acting job than any of the other ones that you did what was the big difference between like doing max and doing like grand theft auto or any commercials stuff I, you know grand theft auto was great because i was just playing like a bunch of random characters and it's fun to just go in and be a prostitute and be a you know <laughs> crabby neighbor and like got to just sort of like do this multiple personality thing for several days which i i actually it's fun and it's alive and it's exciting but i think that when you get to actually delve into a character that you get to live with for several months it's just a different experience you know you approach it differently the effect that it has on you is much deeper you know with commercials which is really what most of my voiceover career had been was these fun taglines and radio spots and tv spots and things like that it's just it's a completely different machine it's mm-hmm. it's not so much about delving into a character and having that character grow inside you it's more of just a fun like i can make my voice sound this way and and it works Yeah. Yeah. What would you say out of all of your roles is the one that you're most proud for? Would it be your time on, on Sweet Valley High because you were in it Rollins for a long time, like 3 years. Yes. Yeah, uh 4 and a half. Oh, four yeah, and a half. Yeah, we did four four seasons. Yeah, I think that it's a, that's a tough question because I think that every thing that I've done, um an experience that I have had in acting affects me for different reasons, right? 
But I mean, obviously, I loved playing Enid Rollins. She's an iconic character that the world knows about. And so <laughs> being able to, you know, being able to create that from a book that people are so familiar with is obviously a huge experience. I would say her, but I would also say Sarah. Okay. I would definitely say Sarah. I think that, like you said, when I go back and I watch the show, I'm still very moved and proud of what I did there. Definitely. And and you should be. You should be. <laughs> uh, thank you. And I mean, she was deep, right? I mean, Enid is Enid's deep, but she's just a she's a wild, fun, goofy. Which I mean, I definitely is is a side to me. But I think Sarah brings like so many levels of like you said, just trauma and discovery and being misunderstood and feeling alone. And I mean, there's so many levels to, to who she is that I was very grateful and honored to be able to, to voice that character. Now, do you have a spirit animal? My spirit animal has always been an armadillo. They tend to curl up in a balls when they get afraid or whatnot, very protective. Armadillos are for boundaries. And Sarah had the horse and... Yep. Uh, Julie had the bunny. So what would be like your spirit kin? Very interesting question. I've never even thought about that. I would say, honestly, I might say something like a lion. But then on the other side, I might say something like a panda. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I would say, you know what? You know what my best way to answer that question is? I bet my spirit animal changes weekly. Ah. That, <laughs> I do. That's a good I one. I do. I do. Yeah, just because I think that there's so many sides to who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm being motherly or if I'm out pitching a show or having a conversation, I think that it changes depending on what I need to do for that day or for that week. Uh, yeah, that's, Maybe that's, that's a cop-out answer. I don't know. You know, I, I think that's an answer that a lot of actors and actresses would give because they have to put themselves in different roles all the time. So you have to generally be another person. So yeah. um, one thing that I, I have noticed from uh, speaking to other people in the entertainment industry is that sometimes you lose your sense of self if you're being someone else for so long. You're trying to find who this character is that you've been assigned. And in the search for that role, search for the energy of that person, you then find another slice of yourself that you possibly didn't know you have, but you pulled it up from somewhere inside of you in order to portray this character. No, I think that you're, and I was actually just going to say something very similar in the sense that I think that a lot of people that are drawn to acting, it's because they prefer to play other roles in other people than themselves. I think it is hard to figure out who you are when you feel more comfortable putting on someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, I can definitely be able to look back now with a clearer understanding of why at such a young age I was drawn to the theater and into acting. I think that like Sarah, I, I felt very alone. I, I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. And whenever I was on stage, whenever I was doing a commercial, I got to be somebody else and I excelled at that. I was good at that. So yes, every role that I've played, I think I've found a piece of myself within that, but it's also hard to sort of put all those pieces together and figure out who you are when you're so busy always being other people. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the match, you feel like you want more and there I just know. isn't any. You know, was there any talks for like a season two? 
You know what, there was. I have to say, I don't know what happened. I thought it was way too short. I definitely wish that it had sort of jumped up. I know other shows that were on oddities went on to do series, right? Wasn't there like, I don't know, did Beavis and Butthead start on something like that? I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. I, I wished, yeah, I wished it would have been able to move to that series because I could have totally seen it as a full series. Yeah, I think Eon Flux was the most successful out of the audience. Yeah, that's 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 what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Eon Flux is just gorgeous, but Max and Eon Flux on the oddities along with like the head and a few others. The head, that was the other one, right. It was it just this very strange, you know, time slot for MTV at the time. I think it was like 11 o'clock or very it late was. at night. And it was. And the, the runtime is so short on these that you just get, you just get a taste and then it's over. I don't know, I love it so much. And I just watched the entire thing. And being that it's only like an hour and a half, you can watch it pretty easily. And when yep, yep. when Julie's truck in her U-Haul just kind of drives off, there's that sadness that Max feels because he's being abandoned. And then yep. later we find out that Sarah also feels abandoned by this move. And her development as a character, you know, we flash forward in the comics 10 years later, and she is still a lonesome person that's struggling to find her own uh, sense of being, her ability to just kind of manage other people and manage herself and not really doing a good job of it. Yeah. And I always thought that what if the Max had done the second season as a Sarah story? Right. I, I just thought that would have been a very interesting season too if they had taken those steps. No, absolutely. And and maybe in a different time, like you said, I, it was sort of an odd path for MTV. And I think it was just one of those things that maybe if it would have been a, in a different time, it would have progressed into something like that. But I agree with you. I think that there was definitely more to be told and it would have been great to see that. Yeah, yeah. So um, who knows? I don't know. Maybe, maybe something will happen so, at some point. I, I don't know. You've inspired me. You've inspired me. <laughs> oh, I got to look into this. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to have to call Sam up and be like, hey, what's going on? Let's make this oh. happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I've, I've heard that he is kind of touch and go with Max in the first trade paperback of, you know, he says how the artwork was not his best and he didn't really have a plan for this. It just kind of fell into place as it was. In a lot of ways, that's how trauma is, is that you are just basically managing your day-to-day -day and then you create the story around you. Max seems to have this very meta appeal where he is telling a story about someone's deep trauma, their yeah. abuse, their rapes, the, the abandonment issues, all of these topics that are super deep. Being that he didn't have a plot line that he really wanted to draw out. I want to, if I had the opportunity to talk to him, I would want to find a, get some information as to like, what exactly was he writing about? Was he writing about his own trauma or the trauma of people who he knew? Because he seems to really understand trauma. That's something that I, I kind of wanted to ask you. Like, did you connect to any trauma in your life that allowed you to understand the character that you're playing a little bit better I think that I definitely connected to my own trauma. However, what's interesting is I don't think I even was able to verbally, like I wouldn't be, I, I don't think I was aware of it then. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Because I was still very young 
you know, I left home, I moved out on my own, I was very focused on creating a career for myself. And I think that Sarah, I connected with her on levels that I wasn't even fully aware of at that point, mm -hmm. 100%. I think that's probably why playing her, that character and being able to play that character resonated with me for so many years because of that, because there was something that just, there was a connection that just couldn't even be explained. Yeah. It, it's like something um, about your delivery of the lines. You can just feel that heartache that she has for her own life and how everyone is just kind of abandoning her, her best friend humiliates her and she feels that she's fat and ugly and not worth anything. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just want to give you a hug. Oh, <laughs> thank you for saying that. I'm glad that you, I'm, I'm glad that people can feel that from, from that. And it's interesting too, because I never even really knew the impact that the Max had had on people. And I remember years later, I was talking to Sam and he was like, there's this whole following. There's this whole sort of cult follow. And I was like, really? Like I had no, I had no concept that it was affecting so many people the way that it was. Yeah. It's pretty it, amazing. It, it, it touches a part of you that perhaps you've repressed because of the, the horrible things that have happened in your life. You know, it, it touches those deep parts. And like you were playing Sarah and not really understanding why you were connecting completely you know, right you can't really see the forest for the trees when you're in it but that seems to touch people on that deep level the rememberings of childhood that you've long forgotten and then when it comes up on screen you're like oh my god you know i used to do that as a kid and i used to feel sure. these things and i i i don't know it, it brings it back around into the forefront and then allows you to analyze yourself while you're watching the show. And I think that's one of those things that connects people to it. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think what you just said is pretty amazing. And I think that all good art, I feel like does that to people, right? You feel something, you have this experience, but you're like, where did that come from? Or, or how did that, it's like almost, it's like a surprise. This short-lived animated show has that ability to do that. The people says a lot about Sam and what he created and, and what we were able to do in this little time that we spent together. So that's pretty amazing. Your character, Sarah, wants to be a writer. And I see yes. that you are indeed a writer. What have you written and where can our listeners find more of it? I think that's very interesting that you point that out because at the time I didn't want to be a writer. Oh, um, I wasn't even, I, no, which is interesting because I turned my career into writing more, which is funny because that very much parallels Sarah's journey. My writing career started years ago. A friend of mine who was a producer was hired to bring a writing group together to write this show that actually never made it to air. It was for the very short-lived Paramount TV's My Network TV, which they were going to do these nighttime TV shows. It never happened, but that was my first sort of real writing job. And since then, I've created like reality sizzles and written some projects that are in development right now, which can't be seen yet, but that are okay. on their way to being seen. Yes. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll keep in tune with your IMDb to, to find out when those will uh, come out. <laughs> I absolutely will, yes. I have a Christmas movie that's in development, just, you know, FYI, and I actually have two uh, limited series that I'm pitching that are on their way to getting picked up. So I will definitely keep everyone posted. Oh, wow. Go you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. 
And I'm still doing voiceover work. I'm still doing commercials. I've got a couple commercials running at a CVS Christmas commercial running last Christmas. I'm still doing little things like that, but mostly writing. So ideally, that's where you'll see most of my stuff in the near future. Great. I know we're ending, but I will say that it has been fun to turn the acting into being able to develop characters that can still tell a story that I might not actually, you know, that I won't be acting as, but that I can tell a story a different way. It's been a fun transition. Excellent. It's been so lovely talking with you. It's definitely been a dream of mine. <laughs> um, oh, that, thank you so much. That means a lot. And I hope that you have much success in the future. Well, I appreciate that, and I will keep you posted, and thank you. I, it's been a pleasure talking to you and, and listening to your thoughts and how you've been affected by the Max, and thank you for taking the time with me. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye.